How are you guys doing tonight? Good. I love that you're here, man. It really is an honor to get to uh, worship with you and uh, get to open up God's word with you. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors around here, and I get the privilege of getting to, uh, to, to preach to us tonight um, and preach to my own heart. Um, hey, I got to say this real quick, too. Robert talked about it. Um, the Belize trip, if you are on the fence on that thing, um, I've my wife and I have gotten to go down there in those villages and with those pastors probably 15 to 20 times over the last uh, 10 to 15 years. And man, it, it's one of the coolest things that, uh, that I've gotten to be a part of, partly because every time I go down there, God teaches me something different. He reveals himself in a different way. And so, man, as he was talking, I just, I felt the Holy Spirit nudging me to nudge you guys. If you're on the fence on that, uh, man, go. You will not regret it. Like, there's nobody I've ever, I've ever met who has gone on a trip like that and gone down there and been like, yeah, I wish I would have done something else. But I know a ton of people who say, man, I should have just said yes to that. I should have just taken a step. And all of the, well, I don't know how, and I don't know if I can get off work, and I don't know the money stuff, all that stuff, man, gets, gets worked out. So um, just want to encourage you and challenge you. Keep praying about that. Um, it's a, a sweet thing. Okay, we're going to jump into um, a, a topic tonight. Um, as uh, If you know us here at Christ Chapel, um, you know a little bit about kind of how we approach uh, most of the pulpits on Sunday. So if you're involved in the college ministry, you know we preach the Bible, right? And so we preach through, right now we're in 2 Samuel. If you're here at the Fort Worth campus, you know we preach the Bible. And so here at the Fort Worth campus, we're preaching through the book of Genesis. Um, we are Bible people, right? We, that's who we are. That's who we want to be. We're imperfect followers of Jesus, but we're people who say, man, this is truth. This is God's word. This is authoritative. God, would you reveal who you are, who I am in light of that, and how I might live in light of, of this relationship that you have brought me into? And so as Bible people, uh, what we want to do this semester at Renovate is kind of step into some topics. So if you're a part of any of our worship experience on Sunday, we're going to be going through books. But our thought and our heart was, man, what are some things that hit close to home? What are some things that we wrestle with? Um, and, and one of the things that is so consistent in this book that we love, this God's word that we study and build our life on, is this is a story a lot about brokenness. Um, from the fall in Genesis 3, we see brokenness in God's design emerge. And, it, and it's sin that emerges and it separates ultimately man from God, right? The, the creator that we're designed to be in relationship. But what happens when sin enters the world is this separation between a creation and its creator. But also what happens is you see shattered relationships left and right as a symptom of sin and brokenness and now a fallen world that we live in. I mean, Adam and Eve, there's brokenness. Literally, they're, they're kids, Cain and Abel. There is this brokenness and hurt and this, this separation and, and divorce between these two brothers who uh, one kills the other. Noah, later, a couple chapters later, and his son Ham, there is this, there is this brokenness and, and pulling apart and, and exile of him. Uh, Abraham and his firstborn, Ishmael, I mean, he sends him away. There's brokenness uh, We've got Jacob and Esau, brothers who at certain points are trying, Esau trying to kill his brother, uh, actively hates him. Uh, you've got Joseph and his brothers. Chapter after chapter after chapter, we see relationships that just get shattered because of sin and fallen people navigating this. And one of the things I, I, hits close to home for me in my heart is this, 
incredible thing that God has done while he's telling this story of brokenness, he is also simultaneously showing us what reconciliation looks like and, and how reconciliation happens and the importance of reconciliation being the fact that we have relationships horizontally with friends, with coworkers, with family members, uh, with people who used to be friends, romantic relationships, all sorts of things that there is brokenness in relationship that's far beyond geographical and it's, it's far beyond, yeah, we're just different phases of life now, but deep hurt. And I really believe that everyone in here is, is touched by some sort of brokenness in a relationship, whether that's huge and you've got the spirit of God poking at you exactly knowing this is for you, um, or it's a small thing that becomes a, a little bitterness that grows and grows and grows. What I wanna talk about is, now what does reconciliation look like? What is it? Why do we do it? And then how do we do it biblically as we're supposed to navigate this whole Christian thing in light of God's word? Um, And reconciliation is this idea of making things right, right? Taking broken relationships, broken things, right? There's this idea of debt even connected to reconciliation, right? If, if, if I am not reconciled, there's some, there's some sort of debt uh, that needs to be paid, something that needs to happen in order for me to fix a relationship. And so um, there's this concept of, man, how do I get that debt paid? Um, even in, in scripture, it talks about uh, big issues that we need reconciliation with. But what I wanna talk about also is even the little stuff. And I think the little stuff is equally as damaging and hurtful for our witness, for our worship, uh, for our own sanctification. Those little things that we can excuse as well, this isn't a big deal. Because I know some of you, when, when you hear the word reconciliation, and this is gonna be a sermon about reconciliation, you think, I, I know exactly I have a name, I have a face, I have a memory, I have some deep hurt of a, of a relationship that I don't know how to rebridge that gap between this hurtful relationship and it's, and it's heavy and it's hard. But some of you have trickles and just annoyances and it just feels like a trickle. Someone in your life, a relationship that just feels like, man, it's this little thing and it's easy to excuse, but that trickle of hurt becomes a bitterness and that gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and scripture even says, you keep short accounts. And so even the idea of reconciliation, if that's kind of an idea of man, getting our debts all paid, the concept, the command of keeping short accounts is, man, if somebody offends me, if somebody hurts me, if there's, if there's a, a barrier, even if it's a small, seems trivial, I've got to approach it with seriousness. I've got to keep short accounts. I don't want to wait for that little short account, that little short debt to grow and grow and grow and grow. And now all of a sudden I've got deep bitterness. So that's where we're going. And what I want to do is I want to preview tonight, um, whether it's heavy, deep reconciliation that you need or what feels like maybe light and trivial, I think God um, has depth and worship out of this. I, I want to talk about the why and I want to talk about the how of reconciliation. So sermon's going to be kind of broken up in those two parts. And really, I think the why of reconciliation really is a part of the how. Because I think oftentimes the greatest hurdle for, for me to seek uh, fixing a broken relationship, to go after somebody that I don't want to, to mend or some, some relationship that, that has hurt, I think the biggest hurdle half the time isn't I don't know where to start, it's I don't want to start. It's a why issue. So often the problem with how... Uh, how do I do this? How do I fix this? Isn't a how issue. It's a, I just don't want to. I'm really good at talking myself out of doing hard things. Uh, and there's all kinds of excuses we give. 
right? We, we can make excuses. Um, I, I can excuse and say, well, man, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. It's vulnerable. It's, it's awkward at times. All of the how behind reconciliation, um, man, it, it puts me in a weird spot. This is, could get messy. This could get weird. Uh, it, maybe I just dismiss it and say, well, it's not a big deal. I mean, there's other people that have really experienced hurt. This is just a little thing. And so I just excuse it, but it's really just because I don't really have a desire. I don't wanna put myself out there. I don't wanna put myself in a tough spot. I don't wanna do this hard thing that we're gonna see is reconciliation. I, I take things like Matthew 5, Jesus' command, and I say, well, I'm just gonna turn the other cheek. That is one of my go-to ways that instead of actually doing what God is gonna command us to do pretty clearly, I say, well, you know what? It's not a big deal. I'm gonna show him grace. And Jesus has this whole thing where he says, turn the other cheek, except that's massively unbiblical when applied to Christians deciding whether or not they're gonna reconcile when somebody does you wrong, right? Turn the other cheek isn't about a Christian turning the other cheek to another believer. So if you're a Christian in this room, turn the other cheek only has to do with you and a lost world that hurts you. It doesn't have to do with you as a Christian in, in fellowship with, with other people and other friends and other people that might claim to do that. And yet I can use that as a shield to actually avoid being obedient to what God's called me to do. So here's really the question I wanna start with is why should Christians do the hard work of reconciliation, right? I'll get to how, but I, I wanna start with why. Why should we do that? And I think if we, if we can't get ourselves to a place of obedience and a heart to say, okay, I'm gonna do this hard thing, then we can talk about how it looks all day long and we can preach Matthew 18 and we can do these things, but man, if there's not a heart to do it, then we're, we're in trouble. So um, why should a Christian do the hard work of reconciliation? The first thing we see in scripture is because of unity, right? For the sake of unity is a part of why we should do it. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 10, Paul is writing to... Um, Corinth, which has all kinds of problems as a church. And he says this, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, that all of you agree with each other, right? And all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And so Paul to this church in Corinth is giving them this command and he is saying, hey, as uh, believers, right, as people who are claiming to be believers, you guys need to be aligned. And it's really this huge bar that Paul is challenging and setting before them. And he's setting it as their design, be, as, as this command, because it is a part of their design, right? A, a part of being a Christian in this New Testament church, this early church, is he's teaching them in 1 Corinthians how to, how to follow Jesus, what that should look like. You've been, you've been saved, you put your faith in Christ. Okay, now there's these implications and actions and, and relationships should look this way. And so he sets this bar really as this is design, right? This is what you're supposed to do. We are called to be in unity with other people. And so for the sake of unity, that should be a driving factor because it is a part of the design of what God has done and what he has built. My knee is designed to be in my kneecap, right? That if it wasn't, if my knee was no longer in my kneecap and aligned with my kneecap, and if those weren't unified, then we'd all be like, oh man, that sucks for Ben, 
right? That, that, that is wrong. And we should say, okay, well, that's not right. And if I were just to say, you know what, I'm just gonna walk on it and it's fine and I can get used to it. We would all look at the, the, the physical discombobulation there and say, no, this is, that's, that's crazy. You're not designed to function that way. It's designed to fit together. Christians, the body of Christ, there is a part of the very design God has done to say you should be in unity. And that is hard whenever you add in sin and selfishness and brokenness and pride and all of those things, it becomes hard. But a part of the why, why we do this hard thing, why we, why we have hard, awkward conversations at times, why is, Lord, would you help me understand your design of what community looks like, that I can be in unity? Another, the second why, um, is because of our witness, right? It's for our witness. God is really clear. And even in Corinth, right, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians and he says, guys, not only do I need you to get along, not only do I, I need you to be of one mind and start being unified and start reconciling all the brokenness and division and arguing and instead be reconciled together with, with one mind. You guys, you gotta stop suing each other. You gotta stop dragging your dirty laundry into the streets and into the city and into the courts of Corinth because it is a horrible witness. The world should see the church. The world should see this we talk about it in pretty much every room we're in. We're imperfect. But they should see a church that is fighting to get in line with God's design because it's a witness, right? It's this incredible picture of what he's done. John, um, John 13, 35 says this, by this, all people will know, this is Jesus, that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so even Jesus is saying, hey, if you're gonna be a follower of me, what identifies you as a follower is that there is those debts paid. There's love, there's unity, there's connection there. You don't get to stay drifted apart. Um, man, there's connection and unity there. And so that Jesus says it, man, look, live in a way where the world says, what is that? Who are those people? How does that function? And I would wager that if I did a survey um, if, if you're in this room and you're in Christ and you put your faith in Christ, um, then if I surveyed, hey, how did, what did that look like? Like, how did you get there? What was a part of your story and why? I would imagine that the majority of people in this room would say, man, it had something to do. At some part, God used community. God used a group of other people that I was around, right? I, God, I, was, I was in a community, I was around a community. I had experienced friends or I had experienced certain levels, but then I saw, wait, this is different. There's something that functions in a different way that is way bigger than just people getting along because they have a lot in common. There's a unity. There's a keeping short accounts. Um, there's quick reconciliation. Um, man, it's a, a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And that's for the, the big issues in our life, right? When the world sees, I can't believe those people can still be united. I can't believe there's forgiveness between those people for, for deep painful hurts, um, but I think also even the little misalignments that happen in our relationships, a community and a, a people that fight to realign when we get off, um, whether you got roommates or relationships or coworkers, and there's something different about saying, hey, yeah, we're, we're off, but man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight to stay in community and alignment. The third why, the third why is this, and I've got five of these pretty, pretty quick whys. Um, the third one is for sanctification. Right, so 
Um, I, I think for sure for unity. I think absolutely for our witness. But also, why do we do this hard thing? It's for sanctification. First John um, chapter one, verse five. We'll put it up here on the screen. Uh, this, is what, this is what John says. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is huge, right? Uh, So much of the why we do this is also because a part of God's purpose for your life a part of his purpose for why he's designed you. And if you say, man, what's the, what, is the, what is the purpose of life? Is because he wants to shape you to look more like him. He wants to shape you in a way that will bring him more glory, which would be really narcissistic if he wasn't the perfect, holy God of the universe, right? And that we, that we find our deepest satisfaction when we are living lives that glorify him the most, Right? And so, so much of the purpose of what God wants in your life is he wants you to do hard things. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to sharpen us and shape us. And so, so often when I say, I don't wanna do hard things. I don't wanna, I don't wanna have these hard conversations. I don't wanna go back. I don't wanna have to seek forgiveness for somebody who's hurt me. Right? I don't wanna go seek forgiveness for somebody I've hurt. That level of reconciliation. We think, why do I do that? Because... Because God wants to use those hard things to shape us into the men and women that he ultimately desires us to be. The Fuquay family, that's my last name, Fuquay. Um, the Fuquay family has this saying that we, that we throw around that we say, and my boys, I've got a 10-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so from the beginning, this is kind of our, one of our mottos. And when Danielle and I first got married, this is one of our mottos. We're like, man, our slogan, our motto for our marriage and our life is gonna be do hard things. Right? We want to be, in a, we want to be a, a marriage, we want to be a family that, man, when we see a path, and not, not masochistic things, not just let's be really uncomfortable for the sake of being uncomfortable, but man, if there's an easy road or a hard road, but, but we feel like, man, God's going to really challenge and shape us, let's take the hard road. Let's, let's make decisions. Let's choose to do hard things. Let's put ourselves in hard places. Let's raise our kids in ways where we're making the hard, good, healthy choice instead of the shortcuts and so much of our calling. We don't, we don't do it very well all the time, but that is so much of our calling and design. And that's so much of the why of why we would do these hard things because God uses it to refine us, to sanctify us. The fourth one is, is this, it's for worship, right? What we just did, we were just, man, I hope, I hope we weren't just singing songs, right? We're worshiping and, and our worship Genuine worship for believers comes from a response. That's what's happening, right? It's not singing songs so that my heart will align with the vibes and the feelings that I want it to align with. It's I wanna respond to who he is and what he's done. And so when I think about reconciliation and forgiveness and and building relationships that that I feel like I should just let go and it would be easier not to, then um, man, I'm reminded that a part of it is I'm missing out on deep worship when I do that. I'm staying in the shallow end. Colossians 3, verse 13, Paul says this. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, and then listen, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. <laughs> Your ability to forgive someone else, and we'll talk about this more in the how, but I wanna just tease out this idea. It, 
It comes from the fact that you have been forgiven, right? My ability to forgive and to reconcile comes from the fact, if I'm in Christ, that I have experienced that. And so me stepping into hard situations, you taking a risk, calling a friend, reaching out to somebody who's hurt you or that you have hurt to do this crazy biblical thing called reconciliation will deepen your worship. It will deepen your ability to respond because you can't do that work of reconciliation, which we'll talk about here in a second, without having to really dig deep in what he's done for you, in how he has worked in your life and how he has bridged a gap and how he has forgiven and how he has taken you who was far off and brought you near. That, that doesn't work that way. And in so doing that, your worship deepens. And some of the sweetest times of worship have been with people. Man, I've got um, a buddy of mine who is on staff with us here. He's a, one of the pastors here at the Fort Worth campus. And uh, he used to be my boss like 10 years ago. And we've had different roles and we've shifted around to different departments. Um, and man, when he was my boss, I was the biggest tool ever. Man, I was such a punk and I just, I thought I knew better pretty consistently. And I just thought so many of the decisions he was making were the wrong decisions. And I just did not like it. And he doesn't know this. And when I came onto this staff in the first place, and then we, Danielle and I moved here because one of my mentors, the guy who officiated our wedding and discipled me in high school, he was like, come and work for me and let's get out here. And, and then he ended up moving on after a few years and I got this new boss. And I was like, you suck. You're not Joey, right? Joey was my first boss, right? And, and, it, and, and my heart, and I gossiped about the dude and I, and I would, would vent. Oh, that's the best, man. Christians are awesome at venting, right? Or processing, right? I'm processing like, yeah, man, can you believe that guy? What a douche. Yeah, let's process this, right? That's not actually healthy, right? That's not actually godly in any way, right? It was this massively immature heart. And I didn't know how to deal with that. And I didn't know how to reconcile that. And I didn't really want to. And honestly, I was probably technically right. Like some of the decisions he was making, some of his leadership styles weren't great. And so I was hanging on to things that were true. But my heart was, was just massively broken and immature in that place. Okay, so all that set up, man, that guy's one of my best friends now, man. We have cried and grieved and, and sat together and... I, over periods of time had to really own so much of my heart in that. And man, some of the sweetest worship I have is, is partnering with him in what that reconciliation looks like, in, in just humbling myself, all of those things. And man, let me tell you, the worship that doesn't just come when a band is playing, but the worship that comes when I'm in fellowship with that brother of mine and how far God has taken my heart because I fought through some really hard, ugly conversations and, and sin on my end and, and even on his end too. Um, man, there's worship in that friendship and in that relationship. It makes me think God is great. We'll go to Taco Heads together and it's a worshipful thing because I'm like, man, this is my brother and it wasn't that way and only a holy God worthy of worship could do this. So man, we're missing out on depth of worship when we stiff arm reconciliation. The last one um, in the why is this. If none of those are convincing, right? For the sake of obedience, right? We're about to talk what it looks like to have the how of reconciliation. And even that will be very nuanced and we won't get in the weeds in it. And I'm gonna trust you and the Lord to figure out some of those details. But 
But if, if you're thinking, well, I don't want to. And if you're not convinced by the witness that it is to a lost world that needs to see Jesus, if you're not convinced that, man, you're designed to be in unity, if, if you're not convinced that there's worship and there's sanctification, then man, my hope is that you would say it's a command in scripture. It's a command in scripture. And so for the sake of obedience, that's why we do it. And you guys have all done this and heard this. They're raising two boys right now I mean, I, I would love for them to understand the why of the rules of our house and you know, why we don't do this and why we don't do that. But at the end of the day, a part of it is, man, guys, you gotta trust me because I said so, right? Because I said so at some point might just have to be the floor of my excuses of why, why and I don't want to and it's not that big of a deal and I'm gonna dismiss it and I'm gonna turn the other cheek and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it on them and it's not my fault. And all of those reasons I talk myself out of it for the sake of obedience should be enough. It, it so often isn't, but it should be. Hebrews 12, 14, the author of Hebrews, he says, he says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's a command, right? It's a command and our stubborn hearts at times just need to say, I don't wanna do this. Why do I need to do it? Because I believe this thing and I believe his way is good. Let's shift into how. Um, I just want to take a little bit of time talking through, okay, great, how do we do that? And I'm not going to get super detailed because I think the reality is it's a really nuanced thing. I think to provide a, a formula, there are times where, man, maybe reconciliation looks very different. Reconciliation is going to have very different results in certain ways when it comes to relationships. But here's a part of the how. I want to just, I'm just going to talk about kind of three categories of, to help you remember, okay, what, what are the steps to do this hard thing of reconciliation. Um, and, and I wanna start with uh, this last Sunday, um, Zach Verslaus, who's on our staff in the college ministry uh, with the PAC, preached on the story of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel. And honestly, I wasn't planning on even teaching from this, but I just, it's been in my head and heart all week. Um, and it's a beautiful story. If you know the story, King David, Right before he was King David, he, he was under Saul. Saul was the king and Saul hated David. He tried to kill David multiple times. I mean, Saul was awful to David. And eventually, right, Saul dies. He dies in battle. The Philistines, his enemies kill him. David becomes the king, right? And what you do, if you become the king and the previous regime and all of their kids and all of their descendants are still around, that's a massive threat to you. Right? Especially if the previous regime was actively trying to kill you at every turn. And, and yet David, who's referred to in scripture as a man after God's own heart, he doesn't do that. In fact, through this man after God's own heart, he says, man, is there anybody still alive from Saul's family? Does he have any descendants? Does he have any kids? Does he have any grandkids? Man, let's find them and let's welcome them to my kingly table. Let's give them a permanent seat in fellowship here within my kingdom. Let's, let's figure out what lands they would have inherited and let's reconcile all that and bring and show grace. And it's this incredible picture of what ultimately Jesus has done for us to invite us into the table. And so it's this awesome, awesome picture. But I think one of the things it does is it shows me to, in order for David, this man after God's own heart, in order to get to a posture where we're willing to go and reach out to what might be an enemy at some point, but instead bring them in and reconcile those relationships, I've got to align, align my heart with God, right? I've got to pray. Prayer has to be the first category when you think of how do I reconcile? 
great, I'm sold, I get it, I should, but how? It's gotta start with prayer. And let me give you a couple of things just more specific than that to kind of help shape that. Right, first, while you're praying, you're praying for humility. You're praying that you would humble yourself. And in prayer, one of the things it's going to do is it's going to produce, if we're going before God, a humble heart, right? If I'm approaching reconciliation, and my first step isn't prayer, and not just prayer, a prayer where I can say, God, this is between you and me, you've got to humble my heart, then, then that is going to go horrible, right? If I'm approaching reconciliation from a place of self-righteousness, I didn't do anything wrong, I've got it all together, I'm not going to have ears to hear, and God is not going to ultimately, at least experientially through scripture, not really bless that. But the reality is aligning my perspective with him is going to produce humility. If I look around with other people in my life, I, I look at horizontal relationships in my life, I can compare myself and say, I'm doing pretty good. Like, look how much better I'm doing, right? I, I, I haven't done this, I haven't been wrong. This, this is unfair to me or I've been wrong. And I can do that and I can elevate myself. But man, if I am actually on my face in front of the Lord, if I am looking vertically, then I know who I am in light of his holiness. There should be a humility. And no matter what someone has done to me, that I need to go try to bridge that gap, no matter what that looks like, if I am going before the Lord in prayer humbly, then it's gonna humble my heart and I'm going to approach that conversation, not with self-righteousness, not with, hey, I'm here to listen to you say you're sorry for what you did, but I'm gonna say, man, I am a broken sinner too, right? I'm gonna put myself in light and so it, it changes my posture as I approach reconciliation. So prayer in order to humble myself is huge, right? The second thing my prayer is gonna do and that we should be pursuing in prayer in preparation for reconciliation is it secures me, right? I should secure, secure yourself through prayer. And here's what I mean by that. If my identity and self-worth is tied to me, I'm in trouble. Because what that means is I'm not gonna receive pushback well, right? If my identity is tied to preaching, right? I preach a decent amount on stages in front of people. And if my identity is tied to, man, I sure hope everyone thinks I'm a good preacher, right? Well, then when I get an email, which happens fairly regularly, hey, that sermon was lame, or I see somebody falling asleep, right? Then all of a sudden, my identity starts to, to shatter because I've, that was my, my security was in that, or my security was in uh, uh, people like me, or my security was in I'm successful, or my security was look how moral and squeaky clean my life is. Wait, somebody's poking holes at that, and all of a sudden, I'm now reacting for reconciliation out of insecurity instead of the security that comes when I go before God, humble myself and say, you set my worth. You say who I am. You are the reason, you are all I need. And so that shifts then the ground I walk on as I approach, as I get my heart aligned before I go seek reconciliation because all of a sudden, man, I've humbled myself under the Lord, but I've also secured myself knowing he says I'm a son and not because I earned it and not because I got it all together. And not because I did it right and the other person did it right. He says, I'm a son, but I was actually broken and lost and an enemy of God. And he called me, invited me. And so there's this beautiful thing. And then while you're doing that, that third part of prayer is, is man, that you are praying in a way that begins the forgiveness process, right? And we'll talk about forgiveness here in just a second, but that forgiveness process, it begins way before you're in the conversation, way before you're, you're in these hard situations where you're trying to seek reconciliation in a relationship, you've got to begin that process early, right? 
God, would you help my heart forgive this person? Because what you're doing in prayer is it's not something that's a switch you get to flip, which we'll talk more about later. I think the thing I want you to really hone in on is it's, you begin it. You gotta lay the groundwork way, way early to say, God, you're gonna have to do this work in my heart. You're gonna have to get me to a place where I can do that and more of that in a second. So um, that's, that's pray, right? And not just pray, but here's how we pray. Here's why we pray. Here's what that prayer looks like to prepare us. The second um, is pursue. Matthew 5, uh, 21 is what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which means fool, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of hellfire. Verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Do you see what just happened? Jesus just took murder like, hey, is it, it, what, what's up with murder? Murder's bad, right? And he then just drew a thread from murder to, man, the seriousness of murder, absolutely everyone would nod their head. But he says, man, that anger that you hold on to, you wanna come and worship and approach me and you are holding on to anger and bitterness and a lack of reconciliation, either your brother against you or you against your brother or sister or whatever that looks like. I mean, he's saying, you gotta do business with that is serious that is a serious command. And so there's this call. Yes, we pray on the prep end for reconciliation, but then at some point, you've got to just go do it. You've got to go and pursue that. And again, that looks very different. I don't get into the weeds of everybody's situation. It's going to be really different, right? I mean, there's, there's reconciliation that takes all different shapes, but as you're pursuing it, you've got to own your shortcomings, right? You, you've got to own your shortcomings. You've got to, you've got to be aware of the fact that and what did I contribute? How might I have contributed? Which you're not gonna be able to get to if you don't have a humble heart, right? If you're going in and you're only the victim, then you might not be able to do that. And again, there's all different levels of what, what that might look like. But if there are shortcomings there, then man, you, you get to bring them up. Um, if God has really revealed some things and say, hey, you did this to me and I know I didn't respond well and, and that's the way we approach it. Another way we pursue is we pursue in love. So we pursue these hard conversations hard processes of reconciliation, but we do it in, in love as we share our perspective. Hey, here's what happened. Here's what you did. And, and at times it feels so trivial and it feels silly and it feels difficult. Other times it feels so heavy and so weighty. But we do those things in love and we say, hey, here's what my experience was. And, and we are able to do that we're able to do that because our security isn't in their response. It isn't in how valid do I think this is. I know who I am in Christ. I, I know I don't deserve him, but he says I'm enough so I can navigate those hard conversations. And then we have to forgive, right? Forgiveness is core to the idea of that debt being paid and us being in relationship again, right? It's a command in scripture. It's not a suggestion. We're commanded to forgive, and the core of reconciliation, that's what's gotta happen. I've gotta to get to a place where I can forgive. Two things about that. One, it's not conditional on the other person, right? I don't get to forgive somebody because they earned it. Let me say that again. Your forgiveness of somebody else is not in any way tied to their deserving of that forgiveness. And so while you 
bridge that gap relationally in a way that does all those things we talked about, then you've got to hold on to the idea that your forgiveness doesn't have to be earned. And there are people in your life that you are holding on to bitterness for. And you don't know how, and you look at me, but they don't deserve it. What they did was wrong. What they do, how they treat me, how they've acted. And you are absolutely right. But you're absolutely valid in that perspective. And yet forgiveness doesn't have to do with whether or not they earned it. That's the point of forgiveness. It doesn't have to do with that. And, and let me also be clear, forgiveness doesn't mean, oh, now we're buddies and now I trust you, right? If you've got somebody that consistently steals money from you and you get really upset about it and they're just constantly stealing 20s out of your wallet, you got a crummy roommate and they're just consistently doing that and it's lame, right? Well, okay, you've, you are commanded at some point to forgive them as a, as a believer. It doesn't mean you should keep leaving your wallet out though, right? It doesn't mean you need to continue to trust them. You, you can still have boundaries, Right? Forgiveness and reconciliation doesn't mean, okay, no longer we have boundaries, no longer will we have distance, no longer will we have uh, maybe even a trust that takes years and years and years to rebuild. Um, but man, that forgiveness piece is huge. And I'm gonna land on that here in a second of, of really what that looks like. But the last thing I wanna say is, uh, man, as you are doing those things, you're approaching them in humility and you're, you're, you're forgiving and, and you're having those hard conversations, then I wanna challenge you that there's kind of a, a before, a during, uh, process of reconciliation. But then I also want to challenge you. There's kind of a post-reconciliation. I don't know how else to say it other than a a hangover, right? So often in our lives, after we've done those hard things, it feels like the next day, the next morning, all of a sudden the enemy starts attacking us. All of a sudden we start drifting back. And so as you reflect, let me read for you. This is our last passage here tonight. I want to read for you 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 18 through 21, which really is one of the passages that we built renovate around. But Paul says this, he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But when you reflect, after doing hard, sanctifying, worshipful, difficult things, man, would you process what has happened in light of the gospel? Right, process it in light of the gospel. Process it in the light of what God has done in my life is the very fuel and foundation for my ability to seek reconciliation. He saw me, he sent his perfect son to reconcile a broken relationship that I broke 100% of. I only contributed sin to my relationship with God, a holy God. And he has paid all of that and consistently pays the ongoing sin that I do and will commit. And it's a beautiful thing. And so as you process that so that you don't drift back into bitterness, process in the light of the gospel, but also process it and reflect on it and worship and rejoice, right? It's an outpouring of that response. That, that as you look at that, even if conversations didn't go well, that that should tune your heart, which means, okay, I'm doing it right. There's a joy, there's a worship, there's a response. And if there isn't, then okay, well, maybe my heart wasn't in the right place. Maybe I actually just wanted justice. 
Maybe I just wanted him to get his dues. Maybe I wanted him to, to really feel or her to feel the way they made me feel. And all of a sudden I realized, wait, why is there not joy? Okay, well, maybe I need to reapproach my prayer life with God and humble myself again and then avoid drifting back to forgiveness. Forgiveness is the command, but man, we drift away from it. It's not a switch you flip. I don't get to just say, all right, man, this person really hurt me. I'm gonna forgive them and I'm supposed to. It's a command from God. There's all these benefits from it. I'm gonna flip that switch. Forgiveness is a muscle we build. And it's a muscle that we build by how we surrender to the Lord. It's a muscle we build by continuing to remind ourselves of the gospel. Lord, you are who I need. God, what, what I've done to you and what I've received in light of my sin is grace. And God, would you let that permeate? Would you let that be an overflow in my life? I build a muscle of forgiveness because I drift back towards bitterness if I'm not careful. And so I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. I keep my eyes fixed on the the fact that our savior showed up 2000 years ago and he hung on a cross and his death on that cross paid all of our sin so that we might be reconciled. That debt is forgiven. If you've experienced that, you know what that is. You know how that changes everything. Yet we drift away from that. We, we, we have this vertical relationship where God has shown us so much grace, but I have such a hard time forgiving this person or forgiving that person or keeping short accounts here because I was done wrong or they did wrong and, and it's dangerous and it's toxic and we drift towards it. And so we continue to say, God, less of me. That's what that muscle building process looks like. God, less of me and more of you. That muscle of forgiveness is built by saying, I surrender, I can't do this on my own. My heart is not good enough. I'm not a nice enough person. I can be for a conversation or two because I know it's the Christian thing to do, but I'm gonna drift back to bitterness. So God, less of me, would you take all of me and my flesh and give me a new heart, a forgiving heart, your heart. We're praying for y'all. Father, would you do this work in our hearts? Uh, Would you show us, God, Convict us even, even tonight, Lord. Show us what are the relationships that, um, man, you've got on our hearts, God. But also show us where maybe our view of reconciliation and is actually because we, we need things to be right or we need things to be fair or we need things to be um, just again. But Lord, actually it has way more to do with forgiveness. And, and God, we may never get the response we want, but we can still do the heart work and the hard work, um, and see your sanctification in our life and see your worship deep in our life. And so, God, for each one of my brothers and sisters in this room, would you take and convict, show us so kindly, hard conversations, hard relationships we need to not give up on out of the truth that you didn't give up on us. Lord, we're grateful. Spirit, go before us for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.